Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to a special three-part series titled, You're Not the Only One. In these episodes, we open the closed doors to real stories of real people so we can start to normalize the struggle, the joy, the grief, and the milestones of what it takes to really build a school of excellence. Why do we tell these stories? So we can find comfort, peace, and grace that we have a community of leaders who are all doing hard things, finding meaning, purpose, and connection throughout this journey. I hope that through this series, you'll be able to release some of the shame and guilt that you have associated with leadership. I hope that you can laugh and connect, find relevance in some of similar funnies and similar challenges. I know that leadership is one of these great paradoxes where we ask ourselves, how can I be so smart, but also so afraid? How can I be so this, but also so that at this exact same time? So this three-part series is going to explore leading yourself, leading your team, and leading the parents. Today, I want to dive in to the first series of You're Not the Only One in Leading Yourself. One of the most challenging parts in leadership is you don't have someone managing your priorities. You don't have someone managing you and taking care of you and checking in with you. Leaders have to self-regulate and manage their own priorities through discernment, through self-awareness. Leaders seem to have to have all of the awareness and the answers and be 10 steps ahead. Your responsibility is vastly different than that of your teams and your workload plays a factor. Yet there's still a standard that you need to keep your emotions in check and you need to be ready for the next step and always have the right answer. Dealing with these feelings of shame surrounding how to help your team understand this, how to help them understand the bigger mission and the center as a whole, we vacillate between these emotions consistently. As a leader, you need to learn how to separate yourself from your team. Because if you try to stay at the same level as your teachers or the other staff, your business will implode because your business will have no direction, no focus, because you're always right there with them. You can't be ahead and it will ultimately fail. So in today's conversation, I want to invite you into some amazing leaders as they share some of their experiences to some of the questions that I've shared with them. In today's episode, you'll hear from Caitlin, who is part of our CEO Legacy Group, Samantha, who's part of our Owners HQ program, Courtney, who's also part of our Owners HQ program, and Sarah, who's part of our CEO Legacy Group. They've each taken the time to share some of their vulnerable experiences with you. And as you listen to each of them, I want you to pause 
and literally press pause on the podcast. Maybe you play back what they said. And I want you to think, where do I see myself in this story? Where are parts of their story coming alive in my life? Where can I find relevance in what they're saying and feel like, okay, so I'm not crazy or I'm not alone. Remember, as you listen to these stories, you will find meaning. I hope you find hope and joy. Also remember to practice discernment as you listen, because not everything will be relevant for you, nor should anything that is created in this world have all meaning and relevancy to you. It doesn't exist like that. We find bits and pieces that make sense for us and continue to hold a part of ourselves in our journey for hope, for meaning, for healing, and for creating and building and having a hand in the next generation of leaders. areas that I find leaders often feel very lonely is in the managing of their own workload and priorities with this kind of almost hidden agenda around one day I'm going to be able to achieve perfect balance. One day I'm going to be able to balance my priorities and my workload and I'll be able to cast the vision and create the culture and I'll be able to do all the things. And there's a part of our subconscious that knows that that's not going to happen. And yet there's another part of our conscious mind that says, oh, if I just put all of my energy and I just pursue this hard enough and I just figure out how to SOP this. And then if I create this system and this handbook and this operating procedure, I will get there. You see, we tell ourselves there is some secret handbook or PowerPoint or PDF that we just have not discovered yet. And when we do, we will achieve this milestone. We will be balanced. We will be perfectly balanced. I want to tell you what the definition of balance is. I'm going to give you some definitions. One is an even distribution of weight. Another definition of balance is a condition in which different elements are equal in or in the correct proportions. Another definition of balance is keeping something steady so that it does not fall. Another definition is an offset or a comparison of value of one thing with the other, right? So the cost of obtaining information needs to be balanced against the benefits of not getting this information. So what balance is at its core, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an equal distribution of everything in our life, equal distribution of time with our family, equal distribution of time with work, equal distribution of mental energy with parents, equal distribution of time towards our marriages, equal distribution of time with our parenting, equal distribution with time for our mental health, for our physical health, for joy, for pleasure, for eating, for recreation, for hobbies, equal distribution. Everything has to be equal. So if I spend two hours gardening, then I should only spend two hours working. And if I spend five hours working, then I should spend five hours gardening. When you hear me say it like that, you're like, well, that's crazy. Yeah, well, we're trying to achieve that. We're trying to create this work-life balance in a way that we can manage our priorities. So you're listening to this and you're like, okay, but I'm probably the only one that thinks this way, right? Like I'm the only one that believes that this is what has to be done. And, and I'm the only one that has to find the answer. Well, that's what today's episode is about. Let's hear some real stories about leaders who have learned to manage their own workload, their own priorities, and how they define balance.
I've created this balancing act of managing my responsibilities and priorities with casting my vision and consistently focusing on creating an amazing culture. And it's taken me several years to figure out how this works best for me and my team. But I've found that rarely is it ever an actual balanced act, so to speak. It's more of a balancing act. And what I mean by that is it's never perfect. So I've had to prioritize my responsibilities based on the season. So I know if we're in the beginning of a school year, I know that culture and vision are my main focuses for my team. And so that means developing my calendar around the trainings I'm going to give, when I'm going to spend time in the classroom, just creating real connection with my team and hearing about their day and seeing how their routines are going and just being a presence there. And I know that culture is always a journey journey, never that destination. So that always remains in my top three priorities. And how I kind of gauge that is, of course, having some self-awareness and daily check-ins with myself, and then weekly check-ins with my admin team about what's going well, what didn't go well, what do we want to do next time, what needs our focus, and then knowing those roles and responsibilities and what kind of goes into my top three priorities on my calendar. I'm able to get a pretty good pulse on what those need to be just because we have open communication with our team. And this has really allowed me as a leader and then subsequently our admin team to get out of this mindset of constantly putting out fires and to be in a consistent headspace that allows us to be calmer and more present for the inevitable unpredictability of running a school. So as a leader, I think it's been a journey trying to learn how to manage my own workload and priorities and really defining what does that look like and what does what role does casting vision and creating culture have in my in my job. One of the things that I had to really stop and reflect on was I took a lot of pride in being the doer of all things and the knower of all answers. I was the person to come to and I was the last stop when it came to decision making. So the buck stopped with me. And although that was very fulfilling in a lot of ways because it filled my need to be needed, what I learned about myself was that it actually drained me more and unintentionally I was robbing my team of the opportunity to be able to grow and think outside of the box. And so by me being the end-all be-all of my company, it led to a lot of burnout, not just within myself, but within my team. I seen a decline in creativity around my team members. There was a decrease in morale, often that was a result of they would bring me a problem and I would give them a solution and the solution didn't work. And there was a couple of reasons behind that. One is I wasn't the one in the classroom. I didn't have the relationship with the students or with the staff member that they had. And two, they really weren't bought into this idea that of my, my solution because it wasn't theirs. And so overall, there was just this increase of frustration. And I think I got to a point where I had to stop and consider do I even like my job? Is this really what I want to be doing and where I want to be? And so there was a couple different approaches I could take. I mean, obviously one, I could bolt and go find something else to do with my life. But deep down, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. I could 
just keep on keeping on the way that I was going, but that wasn't healthy either. And so what I landed on was I really needed to more clearly define my role and responsibilities in my company, and then also the desired impact that I wanted to make as I went forward. Now, this process took a lot of reflection practice, trial and error. It wasn't something that all of a sudden one day I woke up, okay, I'm making this change and now I'm moving forward and everything's going to be fixed. It really wasn't. It was, it took a lot of time and I'll tell you, it's really easy to fall back into old habits. And so I would make a resolution. I'm going to be a better question asker. I'm going to be more curious when my team brings me problems. I'm going to give them opportunities to solve these problems or propose solutions. And that was a transition. It wasn't easy. It wasn't very hard sometimes to sit back and stay quiet when you have this great idea that you want to share and you've always shown how much you care about people by sharing your ideas, your experience, your thoughts. However, what I learned about myself through this practice of stopping, reflecting, trying out new things, clearly defining what my role is in the company. And for me, that role is the visionary. It's being able to look five years ahead and see where we can be and then bringing that vision to a team and helping them help me get to that point. But when I went from being the problem solver, the doer of all things, the knower of all answers to my role is the visionary. My role is to coach my team. My role is to build them up and see where they're at today and where they can be tomorrow and give them opportunities to learn and to grow. What I found was it allowed me to more clearly stay in my lane, which then in return made me, gave me more energy, more excitement for my job, more, a greater sense of purpose. And in my team, what I seen was creativity went up and they began transitioning from problem finders to problem solvers, which is really in the best interest of everyone. And if I'm being honest, often their problems that they were, or the solutions they were coming up with were more effective than the ones that I had. And so I realized at the end, when I was trying to do it all myself, I wasn't just robbing my team of the opportunity to learn and grow, but I was also robbing myself from the opportunity to learn from my team. As we continue this conversation around leading yourself, and you're not the only one who's struggling with these moments of leading yourself, and we just heard a little bit around imbalance or balance, there continues to be a perceived imbalance of workload between leaders and teachers. And what I mean by that imbalance is hours worked physically for teachers, physically in the classroom, versus hours worked creating the vision and culture for the organization. And as a leader is listening to this, your hours need to be in vision, creation, and culture. So I turn to some of our leaders and ask them, to share some moments where they maybe have caught themselves in buying into this concept of the imbalance, where they feel like they need to put in more face time or spend more time physically in the classroom with their staff. And then I also ask them to share how they pulled themselves out of this 
viral loop of thinking. Because if we don't get out of this way of thinking, if we continue to believe that we have to physically be there and we have to clock the same amount of hours or we have to clock the same quality of hours, right? We have to physically be in the building for the same amount of hours as them. If we continue to buy into that, we will be burnt out. And we will not be able to drive the center forward. And so I want you to take a moment and pause. And I want you to ask yourself, do you sometimes buy into this belief that you need to be there and that there's an imbalance of workload? And if you do, that's okay. You're not the only one. And I want you to lean in to some of the stories that our leaders are going to share with you here. It is really hard to balance these perceptions. Sometimes it seems like a never-ending battle. And with my personality, I often feel like I need to explain myself and why I do things a certain way. We've made quite a few changes to combat these perceptions, including making an accountability chart so everyone in our school knows and understands what's expected of them. And then we're able to hold them accountable for those specific tasks. It helps to foster the ability to solve problems independently. It also lays out what the leadership team is responsible for so they can see it isn't the same, but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier. There's a perceived imbalance of workload between leaders and teachers. Hours worked physically for teachers versus the hours worked creating the culture and the vision for leaders. There have been quite a few times that I have had to feed into this imbalance, whether it be opening my office when I'm in the middle of closed office hours, stepping in to help resolve a conflict with a parent and not allowing the director to do it. Um, These are things that I self-reflect on daily and I'm really working on to ensure that my teachers and leaders in this company have the skills they need to resolve these conflicts on their own. And I think that that's so important. And so there's a few different ways that we do this, making sure that they're coming to us with a solution and not with a problem, making sure that they have an open floor when they need it, ensuring that there is margin in your day to spend time with them engaged fully, and also having those times where the office needs to be closed. I need to get these things done. Payroll has to happen. Tuition has to happen. Insurance benefits have to happen. All of these things have to happen. So really finding that time to say, I'm going to leave the office door shut or I am going to step out and I am going to help you. And really being able to evaluate each situation and deciding what needs to happen at that moment. And then after the situation, reflecting on it and deciding if you made the best decision or if you could have made a different decision. And so it's really hard when you have to juggle this to-do list and making sure that you are creating this culture for your staff and for your leaders and for your school family. And it's hard to balance it and also avoid burnout at the same time. And so one thing that I like to always remind myself and my team is that a lot of times burnout cannot be fixed by a million pedicures and vacations because it feels good in that moment. It feels good while you're getting that pedicure. It feels good while you're on vacation. But as soon as you come back, you're right back into that burnout that you were in. And so one thing that I really always try to look at is, is there a values misalignment? Because if there's a lot of burnout happening, most of the time there's a values misalignment. If my company truly believes in autonomy and bodily autonomy, but then my teachers are telling me they need something and I'm not respecting their bodily autonomy, then there's a values misalignment. If my company really believes that our children need to learn how to self-regulate and resolve conflicts on our own, but us as the leaders and the teachers aren't self-regulating and handling conflicts on our own, then there's a values misalignment. So I think that that's one of the things that I always look at when I'm faced with, well, how do you avoid burnout? 
I make sure that I don't have a values misalignment. If I need that time to go read a story or to go just be with the kids, I'm going to do that. And that's really how I reset and avoid that burnout is, yes, I need to have this two hours of closed office time to get this done. Yes, I need to have this time of observation to help support this teacher. But yes, I also need this time to just be, to just remember why I am where I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that that keeps me going. And that's really how I avoid burnout and continue to drive my school forward is by reminding them why we're here. And no matter how cliche it sounds, we really are teaching the next generation. And so are we going Going to teach the next generation how to resolve conflicts, how to handle our emotions, how to use our words and to know that our words matter and that they mean something, how to not be limited by gluing the eyes here and gluing the nose here, how to not be afraid to take a risk. All of these things that I wholeheartedly believe in, in my company is what helps push me to the next day and to the next day and helps push my team to the next day and the next child and the next skill they met and the teacher who got their CDA and who's being promoted and really having that growth mindset. So I think it's something that we're always working on, something we're always developing, something that is ever-changing and it's making sure you have the right people in the right seats on your bus. About the perceived imbalance of workload between leaders and teachers, or even in industries that aren't childcare or education, but leaders and their their teams, their staff. One of the things that I have noticed is there is this false narrative in regards to productivity or worth equals the number of hours worked. And I think I can speak pretty deeply on this topic because this was a myth that I myself first or have fallen into believing and spending a significant portion of the beginning of my career really defining it as fact that if I wanted to prove my worth, if I wanted to prove my value, if I wanted my team to believe or see me as a worthy leader, I needed to work not just as much as they were, but harder, better, faster. And I learned this isn't sustainable. The story that I was telling myself was that there was this innate character flaw within me that where my team thought that I was better than them if I didn't put in enough hours, if I couldn't do not just my job, but their job as good or better than they could. And I learned that this was really my story. It wasn't their story. I didn't have one person tell me Sarah, this is our expectation of you as the leader. These were expectations that I put on myself. What happened from really buying into this belief and this mindset and not questioning it was there was this sacrifice of my own unique gifts, my own unique talents, and ultimately the joy that I used to find in my job. And so I had to stop and go back to my why. I needed to reset my priorities and redefine what productivity looked like and how I would find my worth. And then I had to ask for help and let go of the things that I didn't need to be doing or maybe the things that I shouldn't be doing. And this was a painful (laughs) and slow process. This shift of mindset where worth is not something that necessarily is tangible or that's easy to measure and that I didn't have a character flaw if I was able to 
complete or my workload. If my workload looked different than what um, maybe my teams did, that didn't mean that there was something uniquely wrong with me. I wholeheartedly believe I got to this point because God placed the right people in my path to ask me the right questions, one of them being Hani. And it took a lot of coaching and mentoring from others to keep asking me, why are you pushing yourself this hard? Why does this need to be on your plate? Who might be able to do this better than you? Who actually likes these things? And you would be giving them the gift of being able to complete this. And so I think the big questions that I had to really sit with was who gets to decide if my dreams for my job are acceptable? If my ultimate dream is to work 20 hours a week in my company, who decides if that's okay or not? Is it society? Is it my family and friends? Is it myself? Where does this come from? And why is there something wrong with setting a dream and then achieving it? And I I was telling myself the wrong story to begin with, right? I was telling myself that there is this character flaw. I need to hustle. I need to work hard. And there was a season for that. I think any entrepreneur knows that there's a season in which you are going to hustle and go the distance. But that really needs to be a short season. This is a long-term haul. And what I needed to remember was my story was meant to be an inspiration to others. I don't know anyone that would want to own their own company and work 60, 80 hours a week and do not just their job, but everybody else's job um, as well. Now, I think that it could be very inspirational to say, oh my goodness, Sarah had this dream of being able to run a business and be very active and present in her family life, which is my top core value. I think that's a lot more inspirational and it's not something to be ashamed of. And as an industry, especially one that is often the leaders in this industry are women. I think there is this tendency to kind of suppress our dream or associate our worth in different areas instead of saying, I have this dream, I've achieved it, and I get to be proud of myself. And this can be something that's inspirational to others. I think that's the narrative that needs to change. And as I move forward and I learn more about myself, I think that's an area that I want to continue advocating for is that all leaders can be proud of their successes, that we don't just have to root on our teams, but we also get to be proud of ourselves and really root on ourselves as well. Sometimes there is this perceived workload imbalance between teachers and owners because teachers physically have to be at school while as an owner, I can work off site on things like our vision, developing training, finances, you know, the list goes on. But sometimes it feels like the teachers have no idea what I actually do because I'm not always physically there. And I remember last year when I started creating my schedule to work off site a little bit more. I remember a teacher popped into the office and she was somebody who I very much respected and truly valued her opinion of me. She came in and she saw me and she goes, oh, you're here today. I just never know because I never see you anymore. And that slapped me in the face and my heart just sank into my stomach. And in that moment, part of me felt like I needed to defend myself immediately and share that when I'm not here, I am in fact working. I've got 
sitting around binging TV shows, eating bonbons. And then after that, I felt a little bit guilty, like maybe I should give up this perk of working from home that I'd worked so hard for for so many years. But I didn't want the perception of me to be that I didn't care or that I wasn't working or I wasn't busy like they were. And I recognized that for a long time, my identity was wrapped up in being the person who was always busy creating, working, you know, developing new projects. And, you know, sometimes I can still totally go there and identify as that person. But the main shift for me is that I realized I no longer needed to defend that position, that no one really needs to know exactly what I'm doing when I'm not in the office. And I've learned that I can let the time, effort, and energy that I do put in and developing the vision and giving the trainings and, you know, to really let the culture and that time, energy, and effort speak for itself. The significance of needing to be the person who's always working all the time and everything has shifted into getting significance from watching all of that hard work in private really play out at the school, seeing how the culture is. It's a very supportive and respectful, collaborative culture where teachers are communicating with, with each other in the hallways or they're developing their planning time together and bouncing ideas off of each other. They're eager to help each other out. If somebody needs something in a classroom, they can borrow a material from their classroom and they genuinely like coming to work every day. And so that is now the reward instead of saying, hi guys, you know, I'm here all the time and you can bounce ideas off of me and you can have my ear. It's really now about building them into these leaders. And that's where that, that significance comes from now, more so than me having to be that hero all of the time. So as we're continuing this journey, journey of self-awareness in this conversation around you're not the only one trying to lead themselves. You're not the only one trying to figure out all of these really complicated, messy things. And this next conversation, this next question is taking our previous question a little bit deeper around fairness. So I find that leaders really get stuck in this, right? fairness and how to be able to redefine fairness and what is equal or what is fair and what is the definition. And sometimes in the way that we define fairness is we feel like I can't step into my role because I need to be there physically for the staff or in the classroom. And I need to be emotionally available for them instead of teaching them how they can soothe themselves or be reliant on themselves. And there's two ways that we can look at this. And, and the stories that you're going to hear are take very different angles. And what I want to do here before I invite you to listen into the stories of these leaders, I want to share a little bit of high level context into these feelings of loneliness and how feelings of loneliness really can lead us to do things like obsess over everything being fair or feel like we have to be there all the time or feel like we have to soothe them or take care of them or be there for them. So when you are feeling lonely or you're feeling like you're the only one, one of the powerful ways to look at this is a redefinition of loneliness because really what loneliness could be is, oh, I need to upgrade my community. 
I need to widen my social circle, right? Because I'm feeling like I can't get support from the people that I have in front of me because the people who you are leading are not in the same position. So they cannot offer support and guidance that you need. They just can't. And if you go even further with that is where does loneliness come from? If you think about the worst punishment that there is, it's solitary confinement. It's solitary confinement. And yet as a school leader, you almost voluntarily put yourself into this isolation where you're the only one and you feel like you're the only one because in your center, you are. In your physical building, you are the only one who is experiencing what you're going through. So when you're listening to everything that I'm sharing here and that all these leaders are sharing here, physically in your building, you're the only one that's experiencing it. At a global level, at a level of community, you're not the only one. You feel like you're the only one because you're isolating yourself from other people. Because the problems and challenges that you need to solve are not the problems and challenges that your teachers or leaders or parents need to solve. And even when you're sitting at a family gathering or you go hang out with girlfriends, you still feel isolated because nobody gets what you're doing. Nobody understands what you're doing. Here is something you need to understand as truth. The vast majority of human beings that you will connect with cannot help you. The vast majority of human beings that you connect with on a day-to-day basis cannot help you unless you have purposely and intentionally put yourself in a community of leaders who are not the only one, who are like you. And this is why you have to break down the proverbial geographical barriers and find community outside of your backyard. Because the chances of you finding this level of community and support in your backyard are very rare. Because if you're listening to this podcast and you're resonating with what the leaders are sharing here and you feel like you're the only one and when you listen, you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. That is because you are in the last 10% of leadership. You're in the last 10% of leadership. Your questions are, who should the next hire be? Where do I continue to spend my time? What is the next business investment that catapults my growth? Why is this part of my culture making me uncomfortable? And what do I need to do about this? Is this the correct business model to continue pursuing that will lead to the legacy that I'm actually trying to create? Some of the most critical decisions that you need to make, the vast majority of your current social circle cannot help you with, which is why the last 10% of leadership is so lonely. It's why I created these social groups. The leaders that you're hearing from are part of these social groups, the Owner's HQ program, the CEO Legacy Group. It's the last 10% of conversations that no one is having because while everyone else is focused on what tactic to do next and all of that could be Googled, we ask different questions because the last 10% of leadership is not where you go look for the next SOP. Please write this down and never forget it. The last 10% of leadership is not where you go hunting for the next SOP or the next handbook or the next PowerPoint. And if that's what you're still looking for, you're not in the last 10% of leadership. You're still floundering around trying to figure out to put your right foot in front of your left foot. And that is not where you need to be. The next 10% of leadership is where you go to ask next level questions that doesn't exist. You need to sit around people who are not asking, how do I do this? What's the SOP? What's the system? Stop with the systems. You're in a different level. Your people create systems, not you. You're in the next level of leadership. You're in the next level of leadership. So 
Let's go back to this question, this final question that I asked the leaders. I asked them to share their experience in learning that they needed to upgrade their community and social circle and widen who they were connecting with to include people who were at the same level or ahead of them. And then I also asked them to share how they have previously defined what is fair, right? Like, oh, it's not fair for me to go to that mastermind. It's not fair for me to go to this event. It's not fair for me to leave the center. It's not fair for me to go and take a three-day, you know, retreat or vacation. It's not fair. How have they redefined that fairness? So if you've been asking yourself these questions, these stories are for you. sure that I've ever really thought about how I've defined fairness in this context. But one of the things that I know is that I think there's this belief that fairness always equals equality. And I can definitely say I don't buy into that. I think what is fair may not always be equal. And part of fairness needs to be looking at each person's individual needs and individual circumstance. Now, in regards to the example of really putting out those fires rather than teaching the self-soothing and self-reliance skills, I definitely know that that is something, especially in my earlier days of leadership, that I was quick to do because it was a quick fix. And it was a quick fix, but it was also like putting a bandage on a gunshot wound. And what it did was it filled a brief need to have the conflict of over. And it also fed a need within me to be needed. But at the end of the day, there were still, we would run into similar problems that we had already created solutions for. And our team I would look back and go, well, gosh, this is really similar to this other solution that we had. But because I had just given the answer or put out the fire really quickly, there was never the opportunity to really learn from it. And this shift in my mindset, I think, really started when I began going to conferences and listening to other leaders in a variety of different fields and podcasts. And I joined coaching programs to start elevating my skills as a leader. And there was this misconception that a leader equaled fixing the problems. No, a leader equals teaching you how to solve the problems and building those skills within your team. And so I spent a lot of time with other individuals in the childcare industry, which was extremely helpful. But I also started networking pretty extensively with others in different communities. Specifically, I joined a local networking group where I met on a weekly basis with individuals from a variety of different career fields. So we had realtors and bankers, and there was an attorney, and there was someone who sells Mary Kay. and there was just this variety of people. And what I found was that there was a ton of very similar stories that were being shared. And the most successful leaders and the ones that had the strongest teams were not the problem solvers. They were those that asked great questions. And so expanding that social circle of mine and or learning from the individuals who were further along in their leadership journey or who had different approaches that I'd never considered really helped shift this mindset between fairness doesn't mean that each person or that I go in and fix everything quickly. It doesn't mean equality. It means looking at the situation and being able to identify 
What skills do I need to help grow within this individual? Throughout my journey as a leader and owner, I've really always relied on community and my social circle to help me become the best version of myself. I can remember from a very early age, my dad telling me that you are the product of the people you spend the most time with. And I think because of that, and just really knowing that at an early age, I've always been really intentional with who I choose to be around and who I want to learn from. So I've had coaching, one-on-one coaching throughout the years. I've been in coaching groups. I've, of course, read a ton of self-help books, and I've chatted with friends and family about what I do at the school. But since joining Schools of Excellence, I've realized that having a specific community of leaders who share the same challenges that I do and who truly have an understanding of what it's like to lead and to run a school is an absolute must in my life. When I'm able to share challenges that I'm having at school as a leader or with parents or, you know, with how to handle certain situations and then also contribute ideas to our group, not only do I feel that sense of belonging, which is, you know, basic human need, but a major need for me, I also learn so much about myself along the way. There's just so much self-awareness that happens by being in a community and Because of this community, I've been able to massively propel very specific school leadership skills simply by surrounding myself with other leaders in the industry. And what I think is really important about this community is that not everyone has the same opinions. And I am just so grateful to have other perspectives that challenge my own perspective. You know, we can get so caught up with tunnel vision and what's going on at our school. This is only happening to me or, you know, gosh, does anybody else have to deal with these type of things? And to be able to share those challenges and hear these different perspectives from these outside sources, you know, you you can't see the forest through the trees. There is a major eye-opening experience that happens with that. And we get to become better leaders and really better humans because of that. So I think that being a part of this community has allowed me to step into another level of leadership, a higher level of leadership that provides me way more freedom with my time and has given me more confidence, not only in myself, but in my team and allowing them to be really great at their strengths. And it's really given me permission to focus on my strengths. I know that sounds somewhat silly, but sometimes you need a team of people or a coach to tell you that you have permission to focus on the things you're great at and outsource the things that are not fun for you or are are not playing to your strengths. So because of that and that permission, I've been able to really transform our school into this incredible place to work. And I've leveled up, which is a really incredible feeling. When I first entered the leadership world of early childhood, it was about five years ago, and I had a very different vision than I currently do. And so I think it's important to touch base on that before we touch base on how I really have created a community and widened my circle to know that I have the support that I need. 
Uh, when I first became a leader, one thing that I was told is it's lonely at the top. And for the first few years, it was it lonely at the top. Learning how to help staff regulate their emotions, learning how to teach staff to resolve conflicts and to come to the solution and not a problem and that they're fully capable and that they have experts and that they have support and that they really have people that they can lean on, including me as the leader, but also their peers. And after a while of teaching these concepts to my teachers of who's the expert in that? Who can help you do that? I know that Ms. Susie's really wonderful at large group. It seems like, you know, you could use a little bit of large group support. I wonder if Ms. Susie can help you. And obviously I'm always there to support my teachers, but I think redirecting them to lean on others has really created a culture that cares here. They really have a community and know that not one person is great at everything. You have to lean on the experts of each individual topic. And so now when my teachers come to me, they know I'm going to ask, are you coming to me with a solution or a problem? Because if you're coming to me with a problem, I want to hear some solutions too. And so when they do come to me, they're coming to me with solutions and we'll talk through them and whatever it may be. And sometimes they just need to vent and that's fine. I'm here too. And so one thing I've really done some self-reflection on over the last few years is, man, am I really practicing what I preach? I'm telling these teachers, they have all these experts, they have all these peers, they have all these wonderful people to lean on to get support and to get ideas. And I'm in an office by myself and I'm figuring it out on my own. And some days it's more difficult than others. And once I found a community that really aligned with my values and the company values, and once I found this circle that really were there, whether it was a late night Facebook post about a car cry that I had or a win that I was proud of. It really made all the difference to know that I had a community that was in the same boat as I was. And while we might be sailing different ways, we're still on the same type of boat and we're still in the same ocean. So we're all still fighting the same waves. So I think that's been my biggest eye-opener as a leader is just because you're a leader, you don't have to do it alone. There are plenty of other leaders that are experts in certain areas where you may not be. And having the ability to lean on others has really made all of the difference and really helped ease some of my anxiety and my frustrations and my just, man, what do I do in this situation? I often hear from leaders, but I like being alone. I don't mind being alone. There is a difference between enjoying solitude and feeling lonely. Solitude is you want this time alone to replenish yourself or the time that you want to sit with yourself. And solitude is really important to leadership, to growth, to your development of your center. Loneliness is lethal. It leads to depression, anxiety, cancers, heart disease, drug abuse, depression, all kinds of things, low self-esteem, very different than solitude. When we understand deeply in our psyche that we're not the only one, and we understand how to connect consistently, we know we'll be okay with whatever life throws at us. You see, life is constantly throwing things at us because we live in a volatile, uncertain, and ambiguous world. And for all the systems people that are listening to this, you can't spreadsheet your way out of loneliness. I'm sorry. You can't SOP your way to resilience. You gotta connect with people. You need to grow your capacity for discomfort, to build a space where you could be vulnerable and share for real. Yes, the systems are important. Yes, the SOPs are important. I, I will never take that away. 
but human connection will always outpace any of those things. And if you're listening to this and you're feeling in your heart, I need community, I need to connect with people, I need the roadmap, then I want you to check out our two amazing programs, our Owner's HQ and our CEO Legacy. Both of these were created and continue to exist because of this, because leaders feel lonely, but when they come inside here, they learn to understand that they're worthy of belonging, of community, of connection. There's a place to shorten the learning curve. There's a shoulder to understand what you're going through. There's a friend to provide perspective, meaning, another opportunity. These things exist. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode if you're not the only one in leading yourself. And if you're a little bit curious about checking out our programs, the link is in the show notes. You could check out our Owners HQ, our Directors in our Circle, our Legacy Group. Fill out an application and you and I will jump on a conversation to discuss if this is a right fit for you, if this is a good next step for what you're looking for. This is a curated community. That's why we have an application process. We don't just accept everyone. This is a specific group of people who are looking for connection, for community, who are looking to build schools of excellence, who are looking to build work-life integration, who want meaning, who want to build legacy, and who understand that when there's community, belonging, connection, and when we don't feel alone, that's when you become unstoppable. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week when we start to uncover you're not the only one in leading your team. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.